Welcome to Fourth Times the Diggity Charm. I'm your producer Ben, alongside your director Matt. Our uh, shea butter enthusiast himself, Monty, is busy lathering himself up in a shea butter bath, uh, and that's good because we have nothing good to talk about today. Yeah, there's no room for lubrication in the raw dog, and we're about to give this movie. We're we're here to talk about with Oscar season coming up. We're here to talk about Oscar-nominated movies that should not be nominated for anything but a Razzie. We're here well, to talk so, so, about really so for, bad movies. We're here to talk about one especially for, bad movie. We're here to talk yeah. about something that ruined my weekend, that caused me but, an existential crisis, uh, yeah, and that happened to be labeled as a comedy yeah, so so a little peek behind the curtain here at Four Times the Charm. On Fridays, we always watch three, two to three movies. And for the last couple weeks, we've been working our way through some of the Oscar-nominated films that some of us or all of us haven't seen. And as part of that, we've been looking back at the Oscars at its entirety and at the movies we watch. Now, we've worked through a lot of the movies that were nominated for either Best Picture or for directing. Now, I successfully have seen all of the directing films, except for one. I had yet to see except for one. And this weekend, the only one left uh, was the new Ruben Osland, the Palm d'Or winning um, Triangle of Sadness. And this uh, is a very particular film. David Mamet um, is rolling in his goddamn grave. Is he even dead? So, he's dead. I'm I don't pretty know. sure he's dead. So so we're gonna primarily talk about Triangle of Sadness and then and then when we're done talking about Triangle of Sadness, we're gonna liven things up a bit and talk about some of the other films that have been nominated for major rewards and made us feel at least somewhat similar to how Triangle of Sadness feels. But I, I do want to give this movie its its proper introduction. Now, this was a movie that, again, won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, probably the most um, artistic film festival we have out there for at least major arts house films. Now, and ben, and I have, ben, and I, ben and I have loved some previous Palme d'Or winners, and I have as well. Um, 2013's Blues is the Worst Comer. Warmest color, warmest comer. Uh, <laughs> either either way works. <laughs> We're going back. Yeah, so we, Ben and I have loved some of the other previous Palme d'Or Award winners, such as Blues, The Warmest Color in 2013. Um, the 2019 classic Powerhouse Tatain, a movie that Ben and I debated about many, many times. Um, I, I've personally loved the 2011 film Tree of Life, uh, White Ribbon, The Class, uh, Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days. Uh, the list goes on uh, for some other fantastic winners. Some really, really interesting uh, previous winners where Pulp Fiction actually won the 1994 Palme d'Or. Um, and The Man of Iron in 1981, another great movie. Apocalypse Now and tons of others. And that brought us all the way to today where previous Palme d'Or award winner Ruben Osland uh, decided to write, direct, and edit his most recent release, Triangle of Sadness, a, a movie about a pair of fashion models who go on a ultra-rich cruise. 
And the film uh, attempts or succeeds at, depending on who you ask, um, to create a satirical comedy related to how the ultra-wealthy and the society that they have created for themselves uh, exists so that we as the audience may laugh and guffaw at their ridiculous and absurd ways of presenting themselves and engaging with the world, such as we see in the trailer an old woman asking the uh, the head captain of a ship to wash the sails of the ship. But Ben, does that say does that ship have sails? Oh, oh, oh no, it does not. Oh, it doesn't. Boy. A, a movie that is considered brilliantly powerful, well-written, and uproariously funny, starring uh, uh, Tobias Thorwin, um, Harris Dickinson, um, Charlie Dean, who is playing in her debut role, by the way, Ben, so keep that in account, um, Janice Monson, Vicky Berlin, Dolly Yon, Timothy Gexon, Elisa Erickson, Woody Harrelson, probably the most notable person in the film, uh, Zalinka Burick, uh, Sonny Malas, Cameron Ginning, and a bunch of other people. Um, this was set up to be a big hit. Um, I saw the trailers for this movie repeatedly earlier on last year while uh, waiting for it, it was playing alongside the uh, the menu, another movie that attempts to use a combination of thriller tension and actual genuinely great comedy to make a commentary about the ultra wealthy and how they view things. Now, unfortunately that film did not get nominated for an Oscar. And, uh, we ended up talking about Taco Bell when that movie came out. So no need to, to bring that back up. So Ben, I want, I, I want you to, to take your chance. Now that I've laid the groundwork for triangle of sadness, can you, can you take us through this film and how it made you feel? So, I have a film degree. For what it's worth. Uh, for what it's worth. And so, I'm not able to make a good movie, but I know, th- I know the broad strokes of what separates a competent movie from a well-shot and well-thought-out movie. And we've seen plenty of examples here on Fourth Times of Trump. I've never seen such a paint-by-numbers Oscar-bait movie that is so unfathomably terrible at actually providing a good movie, okay? Yeah. Um, I These are somewhat scattered thoughts, but these are all... These are all very relevant to the argument at hand, okay? Okay, okay. Beautifully shot movie. Genuinely beautifully shot movie. Stunning. Great colors. That says absolutely nothing. This is a movie that from the words of the director himself are are meant to... Where's the stupid quote here? Uh, He says the film was a wild satire set against the world of fashion in the uber-rich with appearance as capital and beauty as currency as the underlying themes. Yes. And what he means by that is that we spend an hour and a half of this two-and-a-half-hour movie watching rich people act rich, not, like, super wild, but they're just, like, rich and a little quirky. And then the last Mm -hmm. hour... 
They're abandoned on a beach, and a maid takes care of them. A very competent maid. You have... There's like that's it. There's no deeper meaning to the story, right? And no, but it's and a you look at you look at Matt. This is going to be a sec. Be uh, Matt, I'm sorry. I need this. Okay. All right. I need I'm gonna this. I'm going to go play You look at Palm Door winners like Raw, and you ask, "What's the purpose behind Raw?" raw right? Raw and you can make the Palm argument. Door. Titan won a Palm Door, not Raw. The, really? Was Titan, Titan won and not Raw? Yeah, I, I, Daniel Blake won the Palm Door in 2016. Huh. It, it was a, it was a Palm Door nominee. Okay, well, let's look at Titan. Same thing. Yeah. It's like same director. <laughs> okay, woman gives birth to a car baby after she has sex with a car. What's that mean? And that on its own doesn't mean a lot but you have incredibly deep interpersonal relationships it keeps you hooked so you want to see what's happening next and there are certain layers of commentaries between how the characters interact with each other that make you ask questions after the movie's over that helps build the world around you there's a lot of layers that makes titan a good movie even if it's not quite as good as raw yeah raw won the fibatsky award Triangle of Sadness is the most vapid, empty movie written by people who don't know how comedy works and was apparently watched by people at Cannes who clapped for this bullshit for eight minutes because apparently they've never seen something funny in their life. And and, and apparently, according to uh, interviews related to the film, it was bold of the director and writer to make a comedy. Because the Palm Door and Can crowd is there for serious intellectual cinema, and it wasn't funny. <laughs> like, like, no, like that, not that's, at all. That's the biggest sin of this movie. It's not a funny movie. They don't really have jokes, and I think the biggest issue with that is that they're trying to meld the idea of we're doing a comedy with the style of how Oscar bait movies film themselves, which are. Long, drawn-out scenes. It's for the artistic. Not a lot of dialogue. Focus on cinematography. Good lighting. And I guess the humor is supposed to come from the fact that mildly absurd things happen amidst this backdrop. But for anyone who's watched anything mildly humorous over the course of their life... It's the absurdity that makes something funny. I, I, I would say three of the four, uh, three out of the four remaining films nominated for, be- for best director are better than this, are funnier than this movie. I mean, they're also better, but they're also funnier. The Banshees in, in a Sheeran, hilariously funny, not even intentionally very funny, but hilariously funny. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Uproarious laughter from us all and tears. And The Fableman. That movie's not even trying to be funny. It's trying to be sentimental, and it's funnier than this movie. This movie isn't just not funny, it's offensive. Because it highlights so many things that are toxic in Hollywood culture. I I mean, Matt. Well, but but, but even take this. From like a, for for those out there listening to this who might disagree who might think like oh this is a this is a big move for for the Academy they gave it to an art house film 
you know that that might be the case but they also did nominate the daniels and that's enough the, the a film that had better directing well, than well, this well not was not to Gun mention Maverick. matt this movie had 30 american executive producers it's not yeah. like this was a foreign film that they plucked out of nowhere well this this, this is movie a foreign was director the... that they yep. found and then Produced hired him to make an oscar bait movie well, but he made he made the movie because he met his wife, who's a photo- fashion photographer, and she taught him the currency of beauty. Oh, really? Or or did or was it one of the thirty three zero executive producers on this fucking movie? It's probably one of them. God, this movie pisses me off. They, yeah, I he did up to twenty. He did like twenty thirty takes for certain scenes. Like, that's a toxic film director. There's no reason to ever do that many takes for a shot in a movie. And, and I mean, even if you're trying to make a point of, like, the deconstruction of wealth and, like, the deconstruction of the idea of the ultra-wealthy and how they treat society and how society treated them, we had a much better version of this exact same movie. And it was marketed along marketed alongside it. And it was this year's The Menu. Yeah. The menu was was tremendously funny. A breakdown of what food culture and how the wealth can modify um, like items and each other and people, and taking that into a, a genuinely funny horror thriller. It's beautifully shot, if just as well shot and 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 performed, better acted, and more engaging. Like this, and that's and that's not an art house example. I don't think the menu is an art house movie, but Tatane, I think Tatane is is as art house as art house gets maybe even another example would be like a gaspar noe's climax uh-huh. as art house as art house kicks both of those movies make commentary on the world and what they're talking about both of those movies have a consistent driving message a pace that feels enjoyable and a continuation of action that might at times be very like non-direct or might be um, suggestive using the visual form and lighting and color and performance, but you know to some degree what the fuck's going on because it's intelligently written. And a problem we see that I really saw with um, uh, with Triangle of Sadness is that like the the triangle that you need to create a good movie is not filled in. There might be a director, there might be writing, and there might be cinematography, but really all you got is a cinematography, and then the writing just falls utterly flat. And, like, I like movies that deconstruct wealth. I enjoyed things that have taken that notion. And this just shit the bed. You, it's, you this know what movie this felt like? And like, a, like a bad hand job. It felt like a movie indicting the rich written by rich people. Well, that's yeah. When you mentioned that there were thirty executive producers on, and I'm sure that's why it got an Oscar. No, I, it's, it's no, twenty no or thirty. Film, no, no film that directly insults the people who who are going to nominate the movie in a meaningful way, not in a way that's insulting it for them to go. Oh yes, we are terrible. Oh, which is what this movie achieves. Would not get nominated. You know, like even the the documentaries that end up getting nominated don't question. To, to the same degree, the horrific nature of how they exploit people in their industry. You're not seeing like a Harvey Weinstein documentary get nominated for best documentary feature 
because that's not what they're interested in promoting. They're interested in movies that make them feel good at laughing at themselves and each other. Like a movie like The Menu wouldn't get nominated in regards to writing potentially because the writing does to, at times cut way too close to the people that, that would actually be watching the movie. Yeah. Yeah. This is the thoughts and prayers of of mm-hmm. rich people dying movies. Oh my goodness. Her her she right. she she shit herself to death on the toilet. Isn't that hilarious? Look at all the rich people dying. Isn't that funny? Well, what about ben, the the wait staff who also died on the show? Well, they don't matter. It's not about them. Well, yeah, that's them. the point. It's a, it's that's the satire. They don't matter, Ben, because we as the rich viewer don't believe they matter. I, and I mean the you know, the character is a good movie. The character development in this movie was so fucking bad. You have a character yeah, who doesn't they're vapid thin people in real life. If, there's I'm going to get more French the more art house of arguments I can make. One of the main actors in the third act doesn't show up till the third act. It's supposed to be some sort of satirical commentary on how no one recognizes the black man until the third act, even though... And he was on staff the whole time. And... Yeah, even though that there is another black actor who is one of the main characters of the movie up until that point, and he just got swapped out with another guy. The, there was... Uh, the, the first 40 minutes, 4-0, 40 minutes of the movie, are dedicated to a to two dating fashion models who live a bizarrely superficial lifestyle. Yeah. Which is Harris Dickens who, uh, who plays, uh, Carl and, uh, Charlie Dean who plays Yaya. And, uh, if you take that opening 40 minutes out of the movie, you lose nothing. Yeah, no. I mean, like, they try to nothing. I'm not. It, I watched some critical analysis of this, Ben. So let me let me let me tell you what they told me. Oh, please, please do. Because I I I didn't get this either. But what they said, what they were talking about, is that the opening presents a comedic satire into a relationship where Harry, where Carl is so insecure and desperate to feel wanted that his girlfriend Yaya intentionally plays off the fact that she she has told him to his face that she's just going to leave him for a rich person and he's only a boyfriend for convenience and it's funny because he is so dedicated to trying to get her to actually like him that he doesn't believe her but then she tells him that it doesn't matter that she doesn't believe her because it's going to happen anyway and then like the underlying subtext is is that she actually to some degree really does like him and he clearly very passionately loves her and and that's funny that matt is what happens when you have a presentation in class on a book you didn't read and yeah. you're and you're trying to like make up something the, that sounds really the, important from from the no subtext. The first question asked at the Q and A for this film at the Cannes Film Festival, which I didn't get all the way through. I'll admit, um, not the fr- I got through all of the first question. I didn't get through the whole Q and A. Um, the first question asked um, opened with the person asking it listing off 
how we could talk about Hegel and all of these other philosophers throughout history and how your writing influenced their, um, how did their writing influence the writing and themes and, and setting for this film. But that the only thing we want to talk about right now is how fucking funny the movie is. What's Which is, funny? I shit you, I don't know. I, I, I laughed more watching the most recent Brandon Cronenberg movie, and that movie sucked. Like, I I know comedy is the most subjective art form, right? Yeah, that and horror. I feel like we're both pretty well-versed in comedy. And I yeah, also I, feel I, I like comedy. we have a pretty wide net of stuff that we can consider funny between the both of us. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. I didn't laugh. No, I don't think I laughed. Like once. I could tell I, when they of... wanted me to think something is funny, but I feel like the stuff they wanted me to think were funny were honestly just kind of mean spirited remarks. Like there's a ten minute scene where elderly people are throwing up in the dining room, and then one of them dies of a heart attack. Like, is that funny? Because they're not going over the top. Like, one of them is... Because I think the idea is supposed to be they're all terrible rich people and they get what they deserve, right? Yeah, it's not even a good version and, and of you, that. And you sort of get that in one scene where there's a weapons manufacturer who invented the grenade. And they're ashamed of the fact they, they and, made the grenade, and, which is why throughout the script they never explicitly say what they've done. Yeah, and, and then when the boat ends up getting hijacked, they throw a grenade into the boat. And they go, oh, hey, isn't this one of yours? Ha ha. Oh, no. And it blows up, right? That's at least some level of comedic irony. But outside of that, it's just people who are generally shitty. And most of them die off camera or they're not introduced. Character development throughout this movie was spotty at best. And there was no payoff for any individual character. Woody Harrelson's character just disappears. Uh, There's probably the most amount of time is spent with the uh, head. I don't know what you call her. the, the, The master of ceremonies. Like the maitre d' of the ship. Yeah, the the maitre d' of the ship. And she goes through most of it, but she really doesn't have a character arc of any sort. She's just there. There, There's no interaction between characters outside of a handful. And even those really don't have a payoff to them. There's no structure. No, there's there's nothing happening. Matt, you you know what the structure of this movie reminded me of? And I'll see if you can remember this. Remember when we watched Vince Russo's Nitro and Thunder? Oh, God. Yes, I do. And and how it just went yeah. segment to segment and shit happened. And it was like... Except for except for these segments in this film go on like modern day WWE television. Yeah, they go on forever. But it's that the movie same felt sense four of, hours long. of like, it's just shit happening. Yeah, there's not a lot of... There's no substance behind... The amount of time that were that that is being wasted. I mean, you could have cut this down from two and a half hours to an hour and a half easily. You could have done a lot of things, and, and it would have been better for it. Um, I I don't, 
I mean, Woody Harrelson and um, he's funny in it, and 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 some other Russian guy. Uh, they take they take some time while the ship is uh, stuck at sea and everyone's dying and shitting themselves, and they go into a debate between the American communist and the Russian capitalist. And so while all these horrible things are going on, one of them's extolling the virtues of communism and one of them's extolling the virtues of capitalism. And then by the end, they start reading about how, you know, the rich people have failed the, uh, the, the layman and how, you know, the, the day will come that they'll rule all their actions as all these horrible things are coming to them. And I feel like this is supposed to be the real climactic scene of the movie, honestly. But it feels unearned. None of the people are really presented in such an over-the-top terrible way. And I'm not saying I need to be spoon-fed it, but the fact that everything is so awkward and underserviced means that once their ship's taken over off-screen, once people are getting severe food poisoning and dying and they're being smacked against the ship unconscious and old people are coming into cardiac arrest it's it's not really earned because once again the director chose to go with the deft hand and film it like it's a drama but then the payoff is supposed to be satirical and so he's undercutting his own movie because he can't break the shackles of 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 you know what oscar bait determines he must do in order to have a quote-unquote good movie fucking hate this movie here's here's another quote for you ben um i want to talk about this because i think people come um come to ken the director looking from films that are serious and not really realizing that funny is smart and so if you could talk about as a director of, of bringing incredible, intensely philosophical ideas to a framework of entertainment as performance, performance, especially Woody in particular, you've made a career of showing that sometimes stupid can be very smart and that sometimes being clever and then and then and that and that underneath it. I prefer to look at uh, Vulture.com's article that starts with Triangle of Sadness's class satire reaches hazardous levels of smug. Yeah, like I think your point earlier that it's a movie that's meant to be breaking down the ultra-wealthy and what they present, um, but it's made by people who have the same mindset behind them, who make who they're directly insulting with the movie. And so, therefore, they're unable to present a real commentary on this culture, unlike in a movie like The Menu. Th- this movie made me, I like, keep hitting, actually but... genuinely sad Yeah, after I was That's watching tra- it. Because for people you, you to watch this and think that this is, like, comedy in high art, like, this is the type of shit that sets back the medium, you know? This is the type of thing that stifles creativity that prevents good artwork from being uh, exposed more. Well, yeah. And it takes up spots in our major awards, which for some people is their lens into finding these kinds of movies in the first place. Like this should be like the fact that we're talking about this is a failure 
in a way. Like yeah, this, we failed. This is a warning movie, right? This is mm-hmm. everything I hate in film. Just distilled. Not even distilled because it's two and a half fucking yeah. hours. Yeah, it's, it's drawn out and torturous. Well, Matt, I didn't like this movie. Me neither. What are some other Oscar movies that you similarly strongly disliked? So there, there's some, there's some real, real classics that other people might have heard of. There's some, you know, Razzie Award winners of the bunch. But I think one of the most notable is the movie Crash. Um, this movie is famous for having won the Oscar that year over several other incredible films. Um, Crash is a tone deaf, um, unnecessary, poorly made. Uh, piece of co- co- similarly actually like satirical comment not even satirical like um like commentary on society and race and the police and loss and redemption it is one of the most panned movies of oscar history now it's i don't think it's the worst i think one of the most offensive things to ever get nominated for a oscar a movie so bad that it got uh, a actor's career ruined, um, robbing him of potentially winning a Best Actor nomination for himself. It is the 2007 classic, Norbit. Now, Ben, ben have you ever seen Norbit? Norbit. Oh man, this sounds familiar. Let me. Let me. Norbit is a mild, a mild-mannered guy who is married to a monstrous woman. Meets the women of his dreams and schemes of uh, schemes to find a way to be with her. Oh my god! So I think about, I did see Norbit. It's one of those, about, um, like actor does all the character movies, right? Yeah, it's Eddie Murphy's actor doing all the characters where he is married to himself in a massive fat suit, while he actively tries to basically get himself killed. Because the big girl took care of him when he was getting bullied as a little boy and just became his loving bully. And it's a movie so horrifically bad that um, years later... um, Matt, I'm so upset that you reminded me that Norbit exists. Yeah, and it almost won a fucking Oscar. For what? Uh, It was nominated for Best Makeup Effects. Well... Well, what you're gonna say? Norbert had good makeup. I mean, I haven't. I mean, I haven't seen it since it came out. But well, I feel like you know, best another, makeup another, is one where it's like, well, there's some weird ones that people kept mentioning that were like terrible films that I thought weren't as terrible. But like someone said, Coda was a bad movie, and I'm very confused. Um moonlight technically had the lowest imdb score of all of the other nominees now one that is that did get nominated for a some major awards was two was two 1999's star wars episode one of phantom menace really um, what was that nominated for it was nominated for uh editing and special effects i believe okay that's fair yeah most of the terrible, e- terrible editing things, i'm not so sure about Best sound, best effects, and be- best sound effects and best visual effects is what I got nominated. Okay, that's for. fine. Uh, Transformer: Revenge of the uh, Revenge of the Fallen from two thousand nine was nominated for best sound mixing. 
the um uh the 2018 movie Bohemian Rhapsody which was edited worse than a WWE match um with so many jump cuts was was the winner of best performance best achievement in film editing honestly one of the worst edited movies i've seen in a very long time oh boy um best achievement in sound mixing and sound editing which makes sense and it was also nominated for best picture of the year um it was an okay movie with a great rendition of the rock am performance at the end um and is largely considered one of the worst nominated movies but ben can you guess what is largely considered the worst musical nominated and a uh, nominated for a best picture i'll give you a hint it came out in the in the last 25 years last the worst musical yes the movie that's considered the worst musical cats not cats that wasn't nominated for any oscars sing no not sing Give, I'll give you another. It was it was released in 2012. Rent. 2012's Les Mis. Really. A, a movie that has largely panned, especially by the um, the musical and th- musical arts community. I liked it when I saw it, but I sometimes like terrible movies. Yeah, I was gonna um, say I I kind of liked 2012's Les Mis. I mean, dude couldn't sing worth a damn, but I thought that was kind of the aesthetic. Well, he got a Best Actor nomination for his leading role. Dude, for um, a guy who can't sing to be the he to started, be the lead he in a musical, in, he, he started in musical theater. I I mean, really? Yeah. Huh. Well, guess lay off the cigarettes, kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that that is those are some of the worst re uh, nominated films of all time. Another terrible movie I saw recently um, was the new film Infinity Pool. Now, this is a 2023 film, and I think this is our first review of a new release of the year. Um, now, this movie made made my wife and me equally as sad as this movie made Ben. Um, That's a scare. Man, I'm so sorry. Do you, yeah, do you try, not talk to try- someone? Yeah, Triangle of Sadness was a pretty awful movie, but Infinity Pool was a movie that managed to achieve more, which made its failures that much more painful for me. Um, Triangle of Sadness, by the end of it to me, was just like a fathomless void of being boring. Infinity Pool is a movie that had a great idea, successfully set it up, and then managed to just try so hard to be edgy and over the top that it completely lost any sense of itself. Now, was Mia Goth and Alexander Skarsgård fantastic in the movie? Yes. Did Brandon Cronenberg do a decent job directing it? Yes. But when we're looking at the triangle of sadness, is the writing good? No. Is the editing good? Not really. Is the movie too long? Yes. Um, so I, I think you got two big solid non-recommendations. Now, I, I tried to... Yo, what happened Bring the pos- to, to the 90 minute movie? It got, it's on Netflix now. Meh. Not really. They're just making TV shows. As you said, everything's dying, Ben. So you have to, everything's TV now. The streaming <laughs> worlds were over. Everything dies. Yay. All right. Infinity pool. 
It's awful. I kind of said everything I need oh, to say okay. about it. It's just, just it's just bad. I mean, there's just I mean, bad, like y'all. it's a. No, I mean, like, it's a it's a movie. So, uh, for Infinity Pool got a three out of four charms, you know, because it is a very cool idea. It's, it, the idea is, is that a, a rich couple who has become divorced from the meaning of having money and exploring travel to a, a foreign country that's like a, a fictional country called La Tulupa, which is, like, supposed to be representative of, like, any of the small Caribbean, ta- uh, Caribbean sure. islands or South American cities where... You can, as long as you stay in the confines of the compound of the resort, you're safe. But the idea is if you go anywhere else, like you're not going to be in a safe part of the world. Now, this couple played by Alexander Skarsgård and his, um, his wife, Cleopatra, oh, yeah, her name is Cleopatra. Cleopatra Coleman are invited out by, uh, Mia Goth and her husband, whose name escapes me. Um, and they are invited to a beach where there's an overly long, and unnecessarily drawn out a hand job scene um, where the actually have him come on camera. It's it's one of those movies. It, it's a movie. It's a movie like Antichrist where you become so obsessed with being art house and being insane and like trippy that you completely fail to tell an interesting story. Now here here's this idea, Ben. Now this 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 idea I think is a pretty good setup. On this island, the um, Alexander Skarsgård's character accidentally kills somebody while driving uh, drunk at night. The two locals who are there with him convince him that they just need to drive away and they can pay off the cops later. Um, it turns out that this was a setup and Alexander Skarsgård is taken to prison where the, um, the police tell him that in their culture, it is the legal right of the first son of the dead man to kill the to kill the person who killed their father, right? Okay. You know, believable, solid, rural idea. Now, they tell him through their own esoteric magic and technology they have, they can instead clone him for an exuberant amount of money, and then the clone can get killed and he can watch. And the movie takes all of the cool ideas that you could think of coming up with that. Right all of the interesting notions and does all of them and then sandwiches it in between a bunch of poorly written vapid nothingness. Damn. It's, it's a movie that I think you might've tricked me. I could have been tricked into liking if I was like sad and by myself. Okay. But when like, I was able to like talk about and think about the movie in relation to like a good story being told in other people, it was just soulless. Damn. Um, and you know, Brandon Cronen, Brandon Cronenberg, you're not as good as your father. Wow. Get fucking wrecked, son. Well, wait, what was... Well, you have to compare what he's doing now to what his dad did at this age. Well, okay. Well, now I gotta figure out how fucking old Brandon Cronenberg is. So that's, that's what we're gonna um, close he on was, here. So, so Brandon Cronenberg was born in 1980. So he's... How old dad So that makes him 43. Okay. So, so that means what did David Cronenberg make in 1986? He made The Fly. One of the greatest body horror films ever put. <sighs> yeah. To mm, damn, Brandon. I'm sorry, pal. Yeah. Like, and he's, and this is one of those movies where he's truly trying to live up to like the, to the presentation of his father, I think. Or, I mean, honestly, he's probably just trying to blaze his own path and do his own thing. Should have gone into rom-coms. But- I mean, I would have been happier. 
than than with what I watched. You know what I mean? Like you could have done so much more to be interesting, and you completely failed at doing that. Well, if there's something I've learned today, Matt, it's that disappointment will follow us wherever we go. I also learned that the Star Trek movie from 2009 won the Academy Award for Best Makeup. And the fact that a Star okay. Trek movie won that is hilarious. Yeah. That is true. It is very hilarious. Very hilarious. Uh, what type of alien are you? Ah, uh, well, I'm not human. I have spots on my forehead. What about you? You yeah. must be human. Ah, uh, no. Look, my nose bridge looks funky. Anyway, that's my Star Trek stand-up bit. <laughs> uh, wow, I am fucking blown away. You've done you've done more for the for comedy and and cinema than I could have ever imagined. And uh, if that's not enough for you. And, uh, well, how are you going to get there in this time? (laughs) Well, you know what they say, if you bomb on stage the first time, get up there a second time and a third time. And if you're lucky, Matt, if you're just lucky enough, maybe the fourth time's the charm. Good night and good morning.